Hey, I'm Charlene Kay. I make music under the name Kay, and you're listening to the season finale of Golden Hour, a podcast about Asian musicianship, creativity, and intersectional solidarity. Let's get it. Welcome, everyone, to the last episode of this season of Golden Hour. We've had nine incredible guests. I'm so grateful to all of you who have tuned into the podcast, have shared the episodes with friends and family, have DM'd me telling me your experiences of the podcast and how you've related to the experiences of our guests. I could never have imagined that it would have grown into this community when I started it, and I'm so grateful. Today on the podcast, we are going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite one of my best friends and the producer of the show, a certain Dave Yim, to come join me and talk about some of our favorite moments on this season, and we'll chat a little bit about what we've learned making it and how we plan on going forward. So thanks so much for joining us. And thank you, Dave, for all of the hard work that you've done to make this season and this podcast what it is. Dave has edited and mixed everything. He's written all the blurbs that you see on Anchor and Spotify and has put so much soul and work into this project. So for that, we thank him. And by we, I mean me. Thank you. Say hello, Dave. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> Our show. Yeah, I thought it would be fun to kind of end the season and wrap it up to talk about how it started, how it went, how it's going. <laughs> how it started, how it's going, yeah. As the meme as the meme goes. And maybe a little bit about what we want to take into the future. Would love that. So tell me a little bit about the origin, because although I've been working on eight of the previous nine episodes, you started it by yourself. Yeah. So in 2020, um, <laughs> we found ourselves in a place that no one had expected. And as it happens, when tragedy or trauma strikes, that tends to be something that triggers a lot of self-reflection. And I hate that it is like that sometimes, but the silver lining of that was that I was witnessing all of these terrible anti-Asian attacks happening across New York and across America. And it made me think about how that might be a result of the fact that we aren't used to seeing too many Asians in media to humanize them in the way that people of other backgrounds do get um humanized i'm talking about white people and and it made me realize um i felt like in that moment so much of the community banded together and i found myself in dialogue with people who i didn't even know on on instagram and on twitter just showing each other support and showing each other compassion and it was a moment where i felt like the like people really rallied around us at and i wanted to do something that would specifically give people the spotlight who might have been underrepresented or who might not have had an opportunity to share what they do and specifically Asian artists. And the first iteration of this project didn't focus on Asian musicians. And that was something that you brought to the table, Dave, that I'm so grateful for because it helped it specify the podcast in a really helpful way. And the first iteration was just basically about Asian creatives. And so I had interviewed my sister and I interviewed our friend Kim Chow, who is an activist and a chef. Uh, I, it di I did interview a bunch of musicians, but it was feeling a little too broad. And I started that in March 2020. And then in May 2020, 
when George Floyd was murdered, it felt more appropriate to lend our solidarity to the black community and to rally around them when they needed it. And so the podcast got shelved at the time. And actually, it wasn't even really a podcast. It was more of a series of Zoom interviews that I screen recorded. So I, I think it was maybe intended to be hosted on YouTube. I hadn't totally thought it out. But either way, the project was shelved. And then in March 2021, when the second wave of anti-Asian violence was happening, and we witnessed that awful shooting at the Atlanta Spa, um, that was a week of intense grieving and going to protests and talking to people and um, catching up with folks that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And it made me think about the work that I'd started the year before and made me feel the urgency to complete that project and to have it out in the world became more apparent than ever. And I found myself wanting to polish it up and to launch it as soon as possible because it felt so important to me to have these voices be amplified. Yeah, I think for me, what excited me about a show about Asian musicians, first of all, it, it didn't exist. I remember searching mm -hmm. when you were talking about it, thinking about it and being like, is there a show about Asian musicians? And there are plenty of Asian themed shows with, you know, some great hosts, but there wasn't anything specific to this. And, and I think something that Charlene was afraid of is that it was too niche, is that it's a subgroup of a subgroup of people. And I think what we found was that within that seemingly small group of people, Asian musicians, there was such a incredible diversity of experiences that people brought. And, and the people we ended up interviewing for the show ranged from ages 24 to 82. Mm -hmm. And that intergenerational element of it brought a nice diversity of, of voices. And every you know person had a unique, their own unique journey. And I thought Charlene was uniquely qualified as a professional musician who had played in bands as well as being solo to have these conversations around what it means to be an artist and a musician of Asian descent and could really get into it in a way that, you know, I maybe like a music journalist or a general creative couldn't you know there's a shorthand for these things both as an asian person and as a musician dave was the one that helped me narrow it down to it just being asian musicians and certainly as a solo artist when i was first starting to do music and also playing with san Fermin, touring all over the country and like very quickly realizing that i looked different and having people respond to me differently than my white bandmates because i was somewhere in the middle of the country and people were used to seeing um, an Asian person be the violin player of the band, you know, that that type of thing happened over and over again. And I just realized that I wasn't alone in this. And in, in talking to other people, even though our experiences were very different, there seemed to always be this through line of wanting to be seen for who we are and to be accepted for the work that we do instead of how we look and the assumptions and the stereotypes that go along with that. And I just love every single one of the conversations that we've had because we hear it in in different forms depending on their background. And we have Mike Park who came up playing ska and is in this very distinct punk world. And we have Emia 
who is a Gen Z electronic pop producer and singer, and she has a totally different experience. And then we have Nabucco, who is in her 80s and was instrumental in the original radical Asian American movement. And so all of these people have this thread of trying to of wanting wanting their story to be told and to be to be accepted for who they are. Yeah, I think this the storytelling element for me was really was what drew me I think to this and you know being interested in this idea of Asian American history and how so much of it is off the books. It's not in the textbooks or it's one line and you know sort of music history being a subset of that and that there's always arts and music happening in any event and this being a catalog for someone like Nabucco who her history goes back decades but then there's people whose histories are still being written right now and that it's important to document those both in retrospect and as they're happening and i think that's how history gets told is having those having the the people in the moment to say this needs to be documented. And then also the people who say you lived through this amazing time, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Tell me about it in retrospect. And I think that's what excited me about this is, is the idea of history, but also living history and, and documenting all of this. So you chose an interesting, I think, person to be your first guest for episode one, mm -hmm. an actor and musician named Darren Chris, who is actually more known for being an actor, I believe, mm -hmm. but who is also a very talented musician and who is also mixed race mm -hmm. and doesn't particularly look Asian, which was part of your conversation with him. So Darren was one of my first music friends, which <laughs> we went to University of Michigan and when I started going to open mics and stuff and it became very clear that I was so in, more into music than my academic path that I thought that I was going to take, I was originally going to be an English teacher. I had a very inspiring English teacher in high school and I was going to major in English thinking that I was going to also be a teacher, but it became very clear that my identity as a musician was pulling me into this direction. And even though I had tons of imposter syndrome about wanting whether or not I thought I could be a professional musician. Darren was one of those friends that encouraged me along that path, being somebody who also sings and plays and is a fantastic musician, even though most people know him as an actor, one of the most prolific songwriters, one of the best lyricists. His turn of phrase and his penchant for wordplay is so above and beyond most songwriters that I know. And yeah, it was really interesting to talk to him and I had I had talked to him about the podcast and he was also very encouraging and supportive of me launching it and talking about his experience, which was so unique in that he doesn't look like he is Asian. And a lot of people were surprised to hear that he is of half Filipino descent. And that only came to light in the public in a, in a significant way when he played Andrew Cunanan on the show, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. It's based on a real person who is also half Filipino. So in accepting that role, he was interviewed by um, New York Magazine. This question came up where he asked him if he identified as Asian American and Darren said no. And that caused a small controversy among his fandom, who some of whom were Asian American and felt betrayed by the fact that he 
didn't claim his heritage in the way that they might have wanted him to. And I was really proud of him for digging deep and trying to find those things about his heritage that he did identify with and he was comfortable talking about. But there's a difference between experience and identity. And the biggest difference is you get to choose one. Mm-hmm. You get to choose your identity. You don't get to choose your experience. Yes. This was prevalent in what you're talking about. Your mom's experience of life, your experience of life, my own experience of life. You know, that happens to us. That is a passive, mm-hmm. literal experience. Whereas identity is something you get to choose along the way. And this doesn't even necessarily have to do with your own ethnic background, but, it, you know, because you can identify yourself in a whole lot of different ways. But for a second there, for a second there, before that interview, I thought that is that experience was what made you one thing or another. And it isn't. Even though it highly influences what you choose, it does not define what your identity is. Well, one takeaway that I had from the Darren Chris interview was this idea that he didn't feel like he could own the idea own the label Asian American because he hadn't experienced hardship or any kind of racism or anti-Asian sentiment. So he felt like he hadn't maybe earned the label or, you know, hadn't, you know, taken on um, hardship in the way that other people in the Asian community had, which I, I thought was really interesting in that, this idea of I can only claim to be a minority if I have faced societal hardship or if I had faced racism or if I have faced something because of my race. You can't just be of descent and say, I'm a proud Asian American. And I think the idea of celebrating Asian joy, which is, I know, something that a phrase that you have said a lot in that you can just be happy and be joyful and not have experienced racism in your life and still be a proud Asian American, black American, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Something tangential to that, which I think pertains to this podcast because it's about creativity is this idea that you need to suffer in order to make good art, which is an idea that I just don't agree with anymore. And whether or not you need to suffer to be like part of the special club of or this this community or if you're making something that you feel like you have to pay for with the pain of the experience i think is a bit of an antiquated idea so this this idea of asian joy i really delights me because it makes me it makes me see that you you can own an experience equally through something that brings you a lot of delight. Yeah, I mean, it's this idea that you have to suffer through something to have some kind of label, whether that's artist, musician, writer, and whether that's you you have to have suffered to take on any kind of identity, whether that's LGBTQ, whether that's Asian American, you know, and you can be these things and not have suffered. In fact, that's kind of isn't that what we want, right? Yeah, it's a, in a way it's more radical and evolved to know that you can create something by being playful and curious and create joy that way instead of 
being a martyr. And there's this antiquated idea, which I definitely ascribe to in my 20s, that the only way I could write a good song was if I was going through something really difficult. And I think it's so much more interesting now. I mean, of course, if you're going through something difficult, by all means, write about it, but don't actively chase it in order to create something. And I love this. I, I love what Dave just said about um, this false idea that you need to be suffer that you need to suffer in order to be a part of something is not true. And joy can unite people as much as pain does, sometimes even more. Yeah, absolutely. I think another very special interview for you was your second guest in that she was a friend of yours and also had a very special connection in that she's also an actor who plays you in your sister's movie, which is just such the funniest way to meet someone. Yeah, it really is the best friend meet cute of all time. And we talk about it all the time. We're shooting this episode of my sister's web series. Um, where she plays a version of me talking to a version of Leanne's fiance and kind of grilling him for why he broke up with her once. And once we've got past the freaky Fridayness of it all, we did become fast and genuine friends. And she was so curious about becoming a musician because it's something that she'd always wanted to do. And I'm very new on my journey of acting. I'm taking my first class and I'm learning so much about myself through that process. And she is a professional actor and uh, a musical theater actor. But I love that interview because it talks, I think both of us are figuring out ways in which we have been people pleasers in the past and how she had to overcome a fear of discovering what her actual voice was. And she had a block against being a singer songwriter, which is something that she'd always wanted to do, but didn't know what her own opinions were at the time. And being in service of so many different productions kind of prevented her from acknowledging what her story was as opposed to just telling other people's. And I feel so passionate about other, I mean, it's like kind of everybody, but especially the little Asian girls mm -hmm. to like, especially the Asian Americans to be like, you have a voice mm -hmm. and like, not, not just a singing voice, you have like a voice in your heart and your soul. And you, it's really hard to learn how to listen to mm -hmm. it because we're really told everything else, oh, you know? Yeah. It's it's definitely uniquely a woman experience, and it's especially uniquely an Asian Asian woman experience. Yes. Um, so it's been incredible to. That's why I say I've secretly wanted to be a singer songwriter my whole life, but I never ever had the courage. Mm -hmm. And meeting someone like you was a huge influence, even though it's kind of recent. It was still like a wow, I'm seeing someone do it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're so recent in my life, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, I can't. Yeah. I just want like more of you and me, and more more representation period for every yeah, kind of person yeah. because everyone knows their own unique childhood experiences and influences. But for me, it's like, man, I want Asian women to learn to hear their voice, not only hear it, but then to love it and then to respect it and then to speak it. Because yeah. more than anything, that's what we need is like that perspective in the world. So what was another moment for you that you really liked from this season? I really enjoyed talking to Mike Park and I was so nervous because he was the first guest that we had that I wasn't friends with. And it made me feel like very new to podcasting in this way that I haven't felt before. And so, and I also just respect him so much as a musician and as an activist, he's done such incredible work 
such incredible anti-racism work and has lived such a rich and full life. I was so interested in how his experience in the DIY and punk scene led to his building communities. A lot of critical thinking in, in punk these days. Um, youth, the ideas of youth have really taken hold of, I think more than the music, just the idea that of community and DIY is mm -hmm. really important to a lot of uh, people, not just in the United States, all across the world. Yet there's, it's strange when you tour abroad and you have that commonality of punk mm -hmm. and you're instantly drawn to this person 7,000 miles away who doesn't speak the same language as you, but you are just, it's like you, your best friends. It's, it's a powerful ingredient and a powerful moment when you click with someone like that. So I think if we had a superlatives, a yearbook superlatives <laughs> for season one of this show, I think Tao Win would win class coolest. She just is just like, has the most calm vibe and she just always seems so collected which is especially striking if you watch any of her videos and see her live which which you and her say often that the, the animal energy comes out yeah so much of her life she had been actively tamping down that animal instinct and so it comes out on stage in this really cathartic way. And you can tell that there's a lot of bottled up rage that I think is important for Asian American women to express. And that's what makes her music and her spirit so compelling. And I, I just love how grounded and centered she is, how much she's been through and what a vessel she is to channel that into her work. Yeah, when she talked about her, the, the record about her dad, she talked about this idea of thinking that the her music would kind of heal some rift between them and you know everything would be better mm -hmm. when you know that was not the case mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people who create things whether that's films or music or writers you know when you pull from your personal experience you hope that in the act of creating the person that you are experiencing these things with, or maybe you feel had wronged you would come out and, and would say, Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Like, let's make amends. And you would be able to heal those interpersonal relationships. A lot of us who create hope to do that, but you can't force anything on other people. And I think what she took from that was that it was about healing herself and she couldn't change her dad, but she just had to change what was inside of her and get that out. You know, it's so funny when I was making it and then around the time of its release, there was this idea that it would do something. It would change something in my life and it didn't. And I mean, it, it helped me get to a different place and a different kind of peace, but it, it's not like it changed my relationship with my dad. There was just this incredible intensity and drive around it because it felt like I was going to, there would be some kind of culmination. And it was such a great lesson in real life. Sometimes nothing happens, 
you know, nothing, people don't do what you think they should do or could do. People are capable of what they're capable of, you know, and that was a, um, a really important lesson for me. I think another really special guest this season was the Shanghai Restoration Project for the obvious reasons in that it was two people who are a couple, you know, so they brought, you know, a really thoughtful and I think unique perspective to a lot of the questions and the, the themes that we had talked to previous guests about. And one of them was this idea of parental approval to do music, to be an artist. And they had listened to the other episodes, so they knew it was coming. And so they had time to prepare for it. Yeah. Um, very intelligent and thoughtful answer. Yeah. I think the question in our minds is, uh, is why does that acceptance, why should it matter to us? I think that's what we sort of came to terms with ultimately, mm -hmm. which is... Yeah. And it's it's not just theirs. It could be societies or whatnot. I think yeah. in order to uh, like sort of you know be an artist or um, to uh, just have your parents fully accept you is actually just being who, just accepting yourself. It's yeah. like that uh, greatest love of all. Right. The uh, I think like the this notion of like you know uh, we need our parents' family's acceptance is putting ourselves like permanently in the ch child stage. And as long as we are in this stage, we will never be fully accepted because our parents will not believe that we have the ability to be responsible for our own life. Such great insight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about that all the time. And I didn't intend for this to be a theme of the podcast, but it's clear that in it becoming a theme, I'm really trying to answer this question for myself of... How do I pursue what I love if it means disappointing somebody like my mom who has been, it's been a journey in getting her to see me as I am. And maybe that's the journey, as Yunfan said, in accepting myself for who I am independent of her approval and doing what I love and accepting that making music and being an artist is part of the fabric of my being. And it's not something that I have, I really have a choice over. So in asking everybody that question, it's been so illuminating to see the thre the threads of commonality. And I think it's so brave of Yunfan and Dave to talk about it and bring this, bring this idea to light that why should it matter that we need our parents' approval? And my instinct, my instinctual response is like, well, because I love them. And I think a lot of kids, even adult children, will never stop loving their parents and wanting their approval. It's sort of innate within us. But she's right. And as long as we continue to keep ourselves bound by their approval, then we will keep ourselves permanently in a child state. And that's something that I will take with me. Yeah, absolutely. I think the... The real MVP of this entire season was our last guest, Nobuko Miyamoto, <laughs> <laughs> who has just lived such an incredible life. And one thing that I love about Nobuko's interview is how even at her age, into her 80s, we don't know exactly how old she is. <laughs> She's ageless. Into her 80s. She still is so passionate about the cause that she got into in her 20s in the late 60s, early 70s, 
at the birth of the Asian American movement. Mm-hmm. And you can just hear it in her voice. And, you know, she also talks about the Atlanta shootings and, and all of the Asian hates and, you know, how important the it is to continue doing the work. And for, for someone, you know, at her age to, to care so much about the future, I think is just so telling of, of her spirit. Now is a moment we need to, in all our colors and hues and nuances, to, to tell our stories. If you tell it in song, if you tell it in film, if you tell it in stories, whatever. We need to hear it and they need to hear it. Why is it so easy for them to hate us continually? Why is it so easy to, to, to strike the match and boom, instantly you've got Asian hate. It's been there underneath, it's been there underneath all along. But you can't hate a person that you really know their story. Once you know their story, it's hard to hate them. This podcast has been an experiment and a successful one. Um, we're really excited to bring you on to future seasons. And thank you again so much for bring, making this a part of your world, however small. Got that real thing that's on the bamboo ceiling. Hey, overheating. That's on the bamboo. Nothing that we can't do.